Welcome to the Building Management Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Working in the heat has often been framed as a side effect of manual labor or professional sports that people just have to work through or get over. This mentality is leaving people injured and sometimes dead from heat exhaustion, and a lack of education and regulation around heat safety isn't helping. Our guest today, Roy White, VP of Products for Breezer Mobile Cooling, was an Eagle Scout himself, trained early on that outdoor safety is paramount to healthy, happy, and productive work. As the conversation begins to change around heat safety from suggestions to regulations, White joined us on the podcast to break down exactly what's shifting the narrative. He breaks down the regulations coming through the sports and outdoor labor industries, what differentiates casual outdoor work versus high exhaustion labor, and why regulation is a must. All right, Roy, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Daniel. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. I'm excited to dive into something that I think is really, really important and applies to several different industries, and that is heat safety. And that's something that your company prides itself on trying to solve and also educate people on. And I know you personally have a lot of love for safety. You uh, were an Eagle Scout yourself. So, you know, going through that whole process... What did you learn about safety, I guess, in valuing it? You know, how did being an Eagle Scout help you value um, this level of safety in a in a corporate world? So, uh, I mean, the Eagle Scouts, you know, Boy Scouts are, are kind of trained along the lines of helping others, doing the good deed daily and things like that. And similar to a lot of the military creed with, you know, no one gets left behind. Of course, not to the same level as what they have. Boy Scouts just not as dangerous, right? But the uh, you know I took life saving merit badges and wilderness survival merit badges and you know uh, emergency response type of things, you know first aid triage kind of things. So I got interested in it early on because you know you, you see people kind of suffering and in pain and sometimes trying to you know fight through it when they when they don't necessarily. So I kind of got interested early on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like getting that experience from a young age helps you appreciate things more, you know, as you grow up with it and you get to see the the direct benefits of living a safe lifestyle. And, you know, when when going into difficult or outdoor situations, having that safety in mind, it just must make you appreciate it a bit more. It, it really did. Yeah. Uh, having that kind of background and training also makes me comfortable in the situations when I see them happening, you know, I, I'm trained enough not to, to kind of flip out and panic when I see a lot of blood or, or things like that. Right. You don't see that with, with heat safety. It, it, it's interesting to me because it's more of kind of a silent thing almost. Uh, there's, there's not a lot of symptoms. You have to really pay attention and it's progressive. So it can get worse pretty quickly and it can even get worse after you're, you're removed from the exposure to heat. Right. So it's a new area where I get to apply my interest and, you know, learn a little more and, and help protect people a little more proactively. So it's pretty awesome. Definitely. So I'd like to just jump right into the main topic here, which is heat safety. This is something that affects a lot of people in a lot of different ways, you know, from the sports world to people out on on a construction project or uh, doing some some manual labor in the summer heat. I mean, it, it affects people differently, but at the same time, it's all the same. It's all the same kind of heat safety. So what has that conversation been like around heat safety over the last few decades and how has it sort of missed the mark? So 
it's really been downplayed a, a lot. You know, a lot of, hey, just fight through it. Yeah, you're hot, but, you know, get some water and get back out there. And I, I think that's been unfortunate in, in just the area of athletics. There's been 68 different football players have died from heat stroke just between 1995 and 2012. And there's already been a couple this year. And every one of those is preventable if, you know, people understand the symptoms that they're looking at and the limitations of the human body in, you know, extreme heat conditions. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that heat safety has been downplayed so much since it's not really a niche problem. I mean, everyone can go outside in the heat when they're, I mean, let's say even someone's out there gardening, right? And it is scorching hot. I mean, you're not going to want to be out there for more than half an hour, maybe an hour max at a time. And that's not even the most intensive work. Imagine people out there doing hard-hitting jobs on a construction site or even sports athletes in football, let's say, practicing in the middle of the of the summer heat and with all their pads on. I mean, heat safety isn't this niche thing. So why do you think it's been so downplayed? I just don't think it was all that well understood early on. I think that people just kind of looked at it like the old, you know, rub some dirt in it kid uh, approach because they didn't understand what was really going on as people get 2 and 4% dehydrated and how that affects both their performance and their health. And it's interesting because you touched on, you know, one important factor and that's, well, actually you touched on several, but the, the one that's coming to mind right now is the exertion level. So when you have a, you know, a top athlete out there doing sprints for a half hour, it is very different than someone who's just doing gardening, light gardening for, for a half hour. Now, there's another factor in that, and that's how used to it you are, acclimation. Right. So you have to, if you're used to a very hot and humid environment, of course you're able to perform in that because you acclimate over the course of a week or two weeks. So in that case, the athlete who's practicing outside all the time may have a slight advantage over the, the person who's doing the light gardening who may just be a weekend warrior. You see a lot of the time in really hot spells, like there was one recently in Chicago, and they had a whole lot of deaths associated with that because people aren't acclimated to it. It's a shock to their system, causes all kinds of different responses than if you're, say, used to working in a steel mill, for in, for instance. Right. So it, it's a matter of how long you're there, how hard you're working, how acclimated you are, and then a host of other factors like prescription medicines, certain meds like diuretics or diabetes medicines, things like that, affect that your age, you know, the very young and, and the elderly are more impacted by heat whether or not you've had alcohol. I mean, there's just a host of other factors that all go into this. So a lot of the, you know, the heat deaths, even now, are actually classified as a natural cause. It's cardiac arrest or something like that. Right. So it, it underplays the true level of deaths that are associated with or the injury, heat injury as well. Right. Yeah. And you mentioned 4% dehydration as sort of a, a standard for when someone is at risk. Could you dive into a little bit more of the science behind the heat safety? Yeah, but let me let me redirect that just a little bit. I'm not sure. I'm not listing a four percent dehydration as a as a trigger point of any kind. Actually, it is a significant level of dehydration. But even two percent is a significant level of dehydration. Consider somebody's body weight. Right. So, I mean, what is it that you'd like to know more specifically about the science of, of heat stress? Well, I guess what I wanted to know was. When does the body reach that critical point where you being out in the heat is actually life-risking? Okay, and here's this goes right at your previous question. Um, it's a very complicated answer, right. and it varies individual to individual. It, it, there's no black and white guide that says, oh, yes, everyone can be outside 
for four hours and 36 minutes at 95 degrees and 40% humidity in a moderate exertion level. There's, there's no real guidance out there. Uh, even, even OSHA doesn't have clarity on, on exactly how much a person can be exposed. They don't have an actual heat stress mandate. So heat stress is actually, um, they have guidelines, but it's measured under the, the general doctrine. So they don't have specific heat safety regs. They have the general doctrine that says you have to provide a safe workplace for your employees. And all heat safety investigations are managed under that doctrine. They, they aren't managed under a specific heat safety regulation itself. So the level of exertion, all the pre-existing conditions, all of those things factor into what somebody managed. The, the real key in that is if you are in a hot environment, you need to manage it yourself. You need to educate yourself and be aware of those symptoms and the treatments and what to do. And you need to be aware that you need to cool off your body you know, and drink way more cool fluids than you would ordinarily drink in right. order to compensate for the dehydration and the stress on your body. Well, and that that flexibility, I guess, in how it affects different people and that it's not really a uniformed thing, I think may contribute to the fact that heat safety hasn't been talked about as much because there isn't really a unified way to just say, hey, everyone needs to avoid this, right? Because it is such a nuanced, complicated issue. I'm, I'm sure that's part of the reason why it's been downplayed a bit is that it's probably just difficult to understand from a universal level. And I'm sure that is absolutely true. I mean, uh, OSHA is a very responsible organization. They have a fantastic heat safety webpage and area with just in-depth knowledge about all the things that you need to be doing with the cool stations and the shade and what a good heat safety plan entails for any organization. Right. OSHA NIOSH has a fantastic heat safety app that you can actually download that gives you a heat index and a, and a risk assessment over any kind of location. So you, it's, it's all geotagged. You open it up on your cell phone. It sees where you're at. It says where you're at. It's 95 degrees Fahrenheit. It's 50% humidity. It's a high-risk day. It feels like 112 degrees, for example, right? instead of the 95 because of the high humidity. And that's, that's a good guideline that, that people can tend to in their heat safety plan and say, hey, when the heat index is over 112 we have to offer additional breaks. Instead of one 15-minute break per four hours, we're going to offer one 15-minute break every hour. And we're going to, instead of suggesting that people drink cool water, we're going to enforce that right. they drink cool water. But that ends up being left to the company or the business to decide. It isn't a uniform regulation at this time. Interestingly enough, there are a lot of people that are actually pushing for that to become a regulation, though. There's a, a number of organizations that are trying to get OSHA or some other, you know, CDC or someone to come in and establish a very clear monitoring protocol, a very clear guide for how much water, how often, how many breaks based on temperature, humidity, heat index or something. There's a petition active online so far about 220 different organizations and groups that have signed on trying to get this move forward. Yeah, and that actually brings me right into the next thing I wanted to touch on, which is these changing regulations around heat safety. I know the conversation has been kind of downplayed for a really long time, but it sounds like the conversation is starting to shift and people are starting to realize that there needs to be more strict regulation on keeping people safe in intense heat. So let's dive into some of those changing regulations. First, I'd like to know, what do you think is spurring these? Why is the conversation starting to do a 180? I think 
first and foremost, people see the you know their environments changing. 16 of the 17 hottest years on record have occurred since the year 2000. So the the threat level is increasing, and this year looks like it will be safely you know another one in the hottest years on record. Right. So more heat stress is being experienced. We heard a recent story about a young man in Maryland who died on on a football field. There was an agricultural worker as well. I think Ohio it was. So you you see a lot of these events. And number one, they're they're broadcast better. People are becoming more aware of them because they they hear about the tragedies and they want to protect from it. And I think those recent events have spurred states like Florida and Indiana to pass laws that say all coaches that are going to coach, you know, a a secondary or post-secondary school football team or any outdoor sports team are required to take heat safety training. So they have to to take a comprehensive course so they understand the impacts to their athletes. South Carolina has taken it a step further. They, they say there's no field activity allowed above 92 degrees outside. On the workers' side, Cal OSHA is actually putting in an actual heat stress law saying that certain workers have to be protected to certain levels. Other things that are going in, you know, maybe a little smaller are like many, many communities and states are passing laws for kids or dogs that are left in cars that you can break into that car and get the kid out and you're protected under a good Samaritan clause. Basically, you even have some communities like Denton is providing cooling stations through their throughout their city. So I think there's a lot of movement in in a good direction. It's not just within the United States. There's organizations abroad as well. Australia has put into effect some new guidance for working in the heat. There's been several in the Middle East that have been putting in guides for for working in the heat. So I think that the, you're right. The conversation is shifting to more focus on heat stress as people realize a lot of these that have been classified as other things really were related to heat, coupled with the change in the environment where it is getting hotter. Right. And well, what I like to see is that the conversation isn't sticking with just more education around suggesting changes, but that there are actual laws that are going into effect and petitions being signed to make strict regulations, requirements for people to make sure that their workers or their players or just anyone working out in the heat is safe. You know, that it isn't just a, hey, you should be doing this and let's help educate you on it, but this is required. Let's also educate you on it, but it's also a law. Yeah, I think that the two-pronged approach here is going to be really effective. You know, you, you see a lot more of the marketing campaign to educate people on the dangers of heat, try and go out and do seminars and, and heat assessments to educate people about heat in the workplace. OSHA, NIOSH, CDC, they all have tremendous campaigns during the summer to protect people. But then that second step, like you're saying, where you codify it, you say, hey, if you're going to be responsible for kids outside, then you need to take appropriate actions and understand the impact of the sun and the heat on those individuals and how do you protect them from damage in those cases. You know, sunscreen, watering, shade, rest, all of those things. Absolutely. So that gets me to another point, which is more on the business side of things, because clearly human safety is the priority here. But businesses can also be encouraged to promote heat safety because there can be literal profits involved. I mean, keeping your workers healthy is going to save you money. So walk me through a little bit of some of the profitability and some of the economic benefits to promoting, educating, and, and regulating heat safety? It, you know, heat safety is in a really kind of an interesting position because every dollar that you spend on heat safety is going to more than return itself. Right. Actually, 
studies done by Lawrence Berkeley National Labs show that as the temperature growth goes up, productivity goes down. More than 1% productivity loss per degree Fahrenheit above, you know, about 75, 80 degrees Fahrenheit. So as you subject these workers out into increasing temperature, you're getting a lot less out of them. Whereas if you invest in, you know, appropriate cooling apparel for them, water, keeping them, you know, shaded and on breaks, your productivity level actually goes up. And it isn't just productivity itself either. NASA did a study showing that as the temperature goes from 80 to 95 degrees, you get about 7x increase in the number of mistakes that people make. And while that was a simple simple case, telegraph operator, it does relay that mistakes correlate to heat. Another study showed that reaction time goes down by about 23% once you reach a certain level of dehydration. There's there's plenty of others. Livestock is less productivity. Uh, is, sorry, it's less productive as the heat goes up. Right. A cow would produce, you know, 25% less milk as the temperature goes up 10 degrees or 9 degrees. Chickens will grow less in the heat. Pigs will grow less in the heat. Additionally, you have safety in there. So as the heat goes up, you have not just heat risk for a direct heat stress or a heat illness, but you also have indirect. Their reaction time is 23% slower. Their decisions making is is worse. They're making more mistakes. That all leads to more accidents, and those are expensive. You can be fined several thousand dollars, uh, even even hundreds of thousands of dollars in some cases, by OSHA for failing to protect your workers from these kinds of things. So we we try and characterize it into you know something we call risk. You know to to manage heat stress, you want to reduce mistakes, improve productivity create a safe working environment while keeping your employees happy. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's proactive point of view, and it's one that's so important. It's it's going to be saving money in the long run, because like you said, any money that you put towards this heat safety education or implementing regulations within your company or, you know, installing, let's say, some breezer cooling units, right? Like whatever it is that you're doing, it's going to pay off in the long run because you're going to have less workers out for heat sickness. You're going to have happier workers, so they're going to be more productive. It's all going to pay off in the long run, you know, and it, it shouldn't just be, all right, just power through it. I know it's hot, but come on, you know, keep working hard. We're all, we're almost there. Like that that just doesn't do the trick. And so it's, it's encouraging to see that the entire industry around heat safety, all the whole conversation is shifting in a you know to a more positive light. Yeah, absolutely, very encouraging. And and you know, I, I maybe even underplayed the keep employees happy part because it isn't just keep employees happy; it's keep employees right. You look at any work environment that's hot, and their turnover rate doubles. In summer, for the most part, because it's just a miserable, it's a miserable work environment at that point in time, and people look for other opportunities. If you have ways to, to manage that, then you're in a better situation to, to keep that employee. And replacing employees is very expensive. You have to go out and do the search. You have to find the right person. You have to bring them in. They're not as productive the first few months while they're training. And so there's a lot that goes into that. And that's kind of where, where we like to, you know, to fit in. We come in and we offer this heat assessment to help you understand as a business your your four different areas where you might be not seeing the effects of heat, you know, reducing mistakes, improving productivity, creating a safe work environment, and keeping employees. Right, exactly. Well, Roy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and giving us this insight into changes in heat safety regulation and just the encouraging change in conversation around it because 
like we've mentioned, it's important not only to keep your employees happy, but keep them productive, keep costs low for having to then treat employees or or to have to work them even harder because they are struggling in the heat. And, you, you know, it just, just having everyone be safe in the heat and educating people correctly, it's all very encouraging. And I'm glad that you came on the podcast to give us this insight. So thanks again. Thank you for having me, Daniel. I really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, you know, we believe everyone deserves to be cool. So anything we can do to help that happen, you know, through education is, is meaningful and great for us. We want to mitigate the heat stress for the people out there, especially soldiers, athletes, and employees who are in, in risk areas. So Absolutely. appreciate the opportunity. Thanks again. Yeah, of course. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's podcast. And if you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries. And subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.